Hey friends, this episode of the Fellow on Call is not meant to be used for medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. Patient information has been modified to ensure privacy. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of the Fellow on Call, the Hemong Podcast. We're coming at you from Rolo University Medical Center. I'm Ronak. I'm Vivek. And I'm Dan. And in today's episode, we continue on our relapse refractory episode. We wanted to split this episode into multiple parts just because it was a fantastic conversation. And we wanted to make sure that you guys were able to keep up with that conversation. So um, we'll keep the intro short and we're just going to get right back where we left off last week. So let's roll that show. All right, guys, we had a great discussion last week and I want you to summarize for our listeners what we talked about. So remember our first case, we had a patient who had relapsed DLBCL after 12 months. We talked about primary refractory, early relapse within 12 months, go to CAR-T. This patient had relapsed after 12 months. How do we think about that patient? So as we discussed last time, the important situation here was that we wanted to assess whether or not they're platinum sensitive or platinum resistant. So we typically treat these patients with things like RICE or RGDP. In this particular case, we mentioned that this patient also had CNS relapse. So we had to talk about what additional agents we need to add to his regimen to ensure that we have good CNS penetration. In this case, we also talked about things like intrathecal methotrexate, which can be combined with intrathecal cytarabine and also intrathecal hydrocortisone called triple therapy. And then we also talked about how, assuming that the patient gets a good response with their platinum-based salvage regimen, specifically if they get a CR, it's a little bit up for debate, but we had recommended that the patient proceed with an autologous stem cell transplant to try to address his relapse disease. However, if we also mentioned, though, that if he had a partial response, then CAR-T at that point would be acceptable, similar to the patients with early relapse disease that we had previously talked about based on that Scholar 1 data. So I think that was my takeaway from last time. Have I forgotten anything? No, that's perfect. And just for everybody to remember, just to recap, if you have parenchymal involvement of your lymphoma, think about things like IV high-dose methotrexate, cytarabine, thiotepa, and rituximab. And that's your matrix regimen that you'll hear a lot of people talk about over and over again. We're referencing all of this in our show notes. For leptomeningeal involvement, we think about intrathecal therapy. And then we talked about a slight modification on our case. We discussed a, a 76-year-old woman who had relapsed DLBCL three years after initial treatment. Her initial treatment was RCHOP for six cycles. She's not a candidate for CAR-T or autologous stem cell transplant because she would just be too high risk. Her performance status isn't where it needs to be for those kind of intensive therapies. We talked a little bit about R-Gemox and R-Polituzumab plus Benamustine. And we talked about, although the data is maybe a little suspect uh, and the trial design is a little bit sketch for the uh, polituzumab BR, it does appear to have activity in this setting. So, so that is one of the options that we have at our disposal. We didn't really have a, a bandwidth at that point in the episode to talk a little bit more about other novel therapies. So what, what else is out there for patients like her? So we have two options that we really like to think about. And what I want to focus on now is not the BITE therapy that we had mentioned earlier in our previous episodes, the bispecific T-cell engagers. And these two options I want to talk about are single-agent lancastuximab, and the second thing is 
something called tafacitumab plus lenalidomide. So Rona, can you tell us a little bit about lancastuximab, and then I'll get into the tafacitumab lenalidomide? Yeah, absolutely, Vivek. For the purposes of discussion, you'll often hear this drug being referred to as Lanka, so we're just going to go with Lanka. So this is an antibody drug conjugate to CD19, so we wouldn't want to use this for a patient who we think is headed towards CAR-T. So this can be used after CAR-T relapse as well if a patient, if a repeat biopsy confirmed that a patient has CD19 expression though bite therapy is now preferred over CAR-T relapse in most of these scenarios. And so the data that supported the use of Lanka came from the LOTUS-2 trial. So here, they enrolled patients who had received two or more lines of therapy. This was a different population than the POLA-BR study. These patients were allowed to be transplant eligible, and they were allowed to be included in the trial if they had transformed or high-grade lymphoma. The overall response rate of this study was 48%, with, and a CR was at 24%. So we have clear activity of this drug, but keep in mind the CD19 target. Interestingly, 15 patients went on to CAR-T after Lanka therapy, and six of them had complete response. And, and the reason, listeners, I'm, I'm harping on that CD19 is because remember, that is the same target that our CAR-T cells are also targeting, right? So that is why we're reserving this for patients that wouldn't be heading towards CAR-T typically. Yeah, and I think this is a good contrast to that POLA-BR trial that we had talked about where the overall response rate was identical to the CR rate. This is what you typically see, something where it's like the overall response rate is higher and the CR rate is lower. That's more typical for a lymphoma trial. And pay attention to all the lymphoma trials we're going to talk about, and you'll see that they're all concordant with this. Again, more reason why that polituzumab BR study has problems. Listen to our last episode to hear more about the thoughts on that problem. To move on, though, let's talk a little bit about tafacitumab and lenalidomide. So, Dan, can you tell us about the studies that got that approved? Sure thing. So lenalidomide, that may sound familiar if listeners have heard our myeloma series. We discussed that drug at length, also known as Revlimid. It's one of these immunomodulatory drugs. Tavacitumab is an antibody against CD19, but it is not an antibody drug conjugate like Lanka. It does seem to have some degree of antibody-dependent cytotoxicity and antibody-dependent phagocytosis, so a both direct and cellular-mediated toxicity, but that's what you need to know about, about tafacitumab. And it seems that the Revlimid plays a role by enhancing NK cell function and improving some of that antibody-dependent cytotoxicity effect that tafacitumab seems to have. So that was the, the groundwork that laid the foundation for this combination, and it was studied in a phase two trial called the L-MIND study. We'll again have a link to that in our show notes, but this included patients that had between one and three prior therapies and were not eligible for transplant. And unlike the last trial, this excluded high-risk patients like high-grade lymphoma, transformed lymphoma, and primary refractory lymphoma patients. Only about 50% of the patients had one prior therapy, uh, the rest had two or three. What we saw was an overall response rate around 60% with a CR about 40%. That response had a duration of about five months for those that had a partial response. And for those with a CR, over half, over 50%, maintained that response at five years on long-term follow-up. That's based on a recent presentation at ASCO. That's suggestive of curative potential for this regimen. Very exciting stuff. The caveat here is that many of these patients did have a low IPI score. Like we mentioned, they weren't 
eligible if they had refractory disease. So it wasn't exactly a, a super high-risk population, but relapse nonetheless. We still find it promising, considering this is a fixed duration, you know, one year of therapy. We'll link to that ASCO 2023 abstract as well with this long-term data. Certainly an exciting regimen. Yeah, definitely. And, and the key thing here that everyone should take away is that we can't make any definitive conclusion whether we should use in this patient with relapse disease, we're not planning on platinum salvage going to CAR-T or going to high-dose chemotherapy with autologous rescue. We don't know if we should do tafacitumab plus lenalidomide, lancastuximab, or Pola-BR. We have no idea. And all of these are options in these patients. So I'll give you a sense of how you can think about this. I would say that tafacitumab plus lenalidomide data has shown the longest durable responses with the limitation that you had a much more favorable patient population. So this might be a good option for a later relapse in an older patient not fit for CAR-T. Maybe you say, hey, that tafacitumab lenalidomide, I mean, it, that's durable responses in some patients. Let's go with that approach. When you think about when should I use lancastuximab, again, if you're heading to CAR-T, we wouldn't want to do CD19-directed therapy. We have limited data, and it's not worth the risk. But we do know this was tested in a heavily pretreated high-risk patient population that wasn't included in the trials for tafacitumab plus lenalidomide or the POLA-BR trial, and it showed good activity. So this would be reasonable for a person who had post-CAR-T relapse or potentially those with more aggressive disease, and they may not be necessarily a CAR-T candidate right now for whatever reason, but they may still need a good response. You could think about something like lancastuximab. It has a, a good punch for those really aggressive refractory lymphomas that we know of. When we think about Pola-BR, I told you all of the limitations I and issues I have with that trial in, in the last episode, but it's a good option for a bridge. I think this is where we should think about the use of polituzumab. This gets complicated now that we have polituzumab at the upfront setting. Is this still going to work when you're now relapsed several years later? We don't know the answer to that at all. But right now, it's reasonable to think about doing something like a polituzumab plus rituximab plus minus bendamustine as a bridge to something like CAR-T, or maybe even a bridge to something like a bite therapy if you needed to do something right now while waiting for approval, this is a good option. And don't forget, we talked about this last week, our Gemox is pretty well tolerated. It's every two-week regimen. You can give it for about four to eight cycles. And this is another perfect option as a bridge to something like CAR-T or bite therapy if needed. So that's how I'd think about each one of those therapies. That's awesome and a great review. And so again, let's say for the purposes of conversation, our patient gets started on tafacitumab and lenalidomide, given that she had a relatively low burden of disease. And let's say she tolerated the therapy well and has remained in CR for two years. So we talked about a lot of different agents today, but maybe we finish out the discussion with bite therapy that we've alluded to, we've previously discussed, but now talking a little bit about it in context. And let's say that we have a patient who had primary refractory DLBCL, proceeded to CAR-T with AxiCell based on overall survival data shown in the Zuma 7 trial, and was doing well, and then unfortunately nine months after she got CAR-T, she had a relapse. So where would we go from here? So this is where bite therapy really plays a role right now in 2023, and this may change. It may be pushed up into earlier lines of therapy. Remember that you could repeat the biopsy and identify whether this patient still has CD19 expression. That actually does happen relatively commonly, even after CAR-T, and that 
gives the patient an option for something like longestuximab, that CD19 antibody drug conjugate, perfect agent in this situation, right? Because it has really good activity. Or you could consider something like tafacitumab plus lenalidomide. These patients have typically seen platinum already, but you could also think about a platinum salvage if you needed to. Here's the thing. This is where bite therapy is essential. And there are two approved products now in 2023. One is called epcoridumab, which is indefinite therapy. The other one is called glofitumab, which is fixed duration for 12 cycles, each cycle lasting 21 days. So it's fixed duration versus indefinite therapy. Both of these products require step-up dosing for the first cycle. This is the same as the bite therapies for multiple myeloma. So you'll hear about things like teclistimab and telquetimab, which we're going to have. Finally, we're going to finish out our relapse refractory myeloma. We kind of took a break on it for a while at some point, but we'll talk about those agents. The big thing to know about these bispecific T-cell engagers is it brings together a T-cell because it has CD3 on one end of the antibody, and on the other end of the antibody, it has its target. In this case, it's CD20. Remember, the B cells have CD20 expression, and it's like this this double-sided sticky tape that says, hey, T cell, go kill this thing, kill this target, and it kills the lymphoma. So let's talk about epcoridumab. It's a subcutaneous injection. There was a study called EPCOR NHL that was published in April 2023, and in this study, most patients had primary refractory disease, and about 40% had prior CAR-T, so a very representative population. Overall response rate was an astounding 60% with a CR rate of 40%. It's pretty incredible. Grade 1 or 2 CRS occurred in about half of the patients, and ICANS, that neurotoxicity syndrome that we talked about, was uncommon only in about 6% of patients, and this is much better than the side effect profile of CAR-T therapy with something like AxiCell. There also seems to be durable response to therapy for over one year. We still need longer follow-up, and remember this is indefinite therapy with epcaridumab, but it's still good to know that maybe there's a curative potential for it. The other agent, glofitumab, is an IV infusion. There was a phase two study published in New England Journal of Medicine in December 2022, and these patients, again, were high risk they had prior CAR-T or refractory to CAR-T therapy, most of these patients. And the difference between this one and the other one, its fixed duration was one thing. The other interesting thing is they gave a pretreatment dose of obinutuzumab, which is a cousin to rituximab that works a little bit differently. And it helped, the idea was it could help mitigate the cytokine release syndrome that you can get when all of these T cells are blasting away and killing all the lymphoma cells and releasing all their cytokines. And there's a similar CR rate to epcaridumab study of about 40%, similar toxicity profile in terms of CRS and ICANS. And there also seems to be a durable response to therapy for some patients. And the major advantage, it's a fixed duration of therapy. So the bottom line, bite therapy is incredibly promising, works after CAR-T and those who are refractory to CAR-T, does not require leukapheresis like CAR-T does. You can get it off the shelf and give it to the patient. And it may ultimately prove, in my opinion, to be more efficacious than CAR-T potentially in the future. And that's where the field is heading. Where do bites fit into this whole treatment paradigm and algorithm for these patients? And we would definitely give a bite therapy after CAR-T relapse if the patient could tolerate it based on this data because this is giving them durable responses. Lancastuximab didn't do that. It can be a bridge to get you here to bite, but bite is the thing that could actually give you durable responses. All right. That's really impressive stuff. So let's say our patient gets glowed up. 
we, we go ahead and give her glofitimab and she achieves a CR. At this point, should we proceed with allogeneic transplant? Is that, you know, we've talked about auto, but is there a role for allo in this setting? How does that type of therapy fit into the landscape with DLBCL? When you think about allogeneic transplant, remember that autologous transplant was just rescuing the patient's bone marrow because we gave them such high doses of chemotherapy. We actually haven't really talked about allo transplant in our podcast at this point, I don't think. And allo transplant is where you get somebody else's stem cells, and those stem cells is called your graft, and you're going to have a graft versus lymphoma effect. So your graft is going to attack the lymphoma. That is an indication for getting an allogeneic transplant. We don't like to do this because of the long-term toxicity, GVHD, mortality, all these things that can happen as long-term sequela of giving an allo transplant. But right now, we still think this is the only curative option for those who relapse after CAR-T therapy. It used to be, if you relapse after auto, we didn't have CAR-T, so they went to allogeneic transplant. Before bite therapy, it was, they relapse after CAR-T, take them to allogeneic transplant, just get them to allogeneic transplant to get this graft versus lymphoma effect. Right now, we don't know, can bite therapies alone provide a durable response and cure? But for now, you should always refer these patients to get an evaluation for allogeneic transplant and have that discussion with the transplant team on the risks and benefits of giving the transplant. But right now, it still could be the only curative therapy for these patients. So I think what I'm hearing is that there's still a lot of opportunity for the treatment paradigm to continue to change and a lot of exciting things that are likely going to be on the horizon in the next few years. So that's the really exciting thing about the kind of work that we get to do. These things are always changing. And, you know, I think every time we finish another series, what we talked about in our very first series about how, you know, we try new drugs in these later lines. And then the goal is just to push these effective therapies earlier and earlier to try to find more effective ways to treat our patients. And I think this is a, a perfect example of how we're doing that. So, I mean, this was great. I thought this was a fantastic series. Hopefully our listeners also agree fun series to talk about. We'll have more lymphoma way in the future. We're going to go to solid tumor topics. I think we're doing some some classical hematology after this and then get into high-yield solid tumor topic again, but this is a great time. Yeah, I think it went well. Can't wait to get into our next series. That sounds great, guys. Well, until next time then, listeners, we'll see you all later. See you later. Peace. <laughs>